Well, if you got a Bible with you this morning, open please with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. We're going to do things just a little bit differently today. Um, Sarah and I have been preaching to each other at home, in the living room, in the kitchen, uh, in the cars we're driving. We've been preaching to each other for the last couple of weeks. And I'm telling you, the Lord has given her some good things. It's been encouraging me, and, and I believe it's something we need to hear. You know, there are, in my mind, a couple of different kinds of messages, if you will. Uh, messages, sermons people preach. There are things that you could say would be for the body. Things that anybody, anywhere in the body of Christ can or could and should hear. And then one of the things we have found over the last year or two as we've been pastoring, this is new to us, we have found the difference between things that are for the body and things that are for this body. You understand what I mean? And I believe the Lord's given Sarah some things, and there are certainly things that anybody anywhere could hear, but they are spe specifically for this body, for where we are as a family, where we are in the growth of this church. And, and I want to just take a few minutes this morning and set some things up, and, uh, and I believe the Lord would have her share some things with us. So in Matthew chapter 21, like we've already said today, we are celebrating what many have referred to as Palm Sunday. Um, there are captions here in your Bible, if it's like mine, you've heard people call it uh, the triumphal. There's a vocabulary word for you, triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And when you read about it, man, it is triumphal. It, it's big, it's, it's bold, it's loud. People are shouting, people are praising. And as good as it is to read about it, you know what I'm, I'm pretty interested in and excited about today? His triumphal re-entry. Anybody with me on that? What am I saying to you? Jesus is coming soon. Church, we gotta get excited about it. I'm excited this morning about his triumphal re-entry. Our king is coming again. And we've got to be living with this in our hearts, living with this on our minds. We've got to be talking about it. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. My great-grandmother, Vanetta Copeland, um, I had the privilege of, of being the first grandchild, great-grandchild in the family. So I actually got time, maybe some more time than some of my cousins got with Nani and Granddad. That's Brother Copeland's mom and dad. And I got to know them pretty well before they moved to heaven. And my Nani, Vanetta Copeland, was a praying woman. Uh, she, she told or i sorry, my, my great-grandfather, A.W. Copeland, Aubrey Wayne Copeland. They had great names back then. Vanetta. Vanetta Pearl was her name. Uh, and my great-grandfather told my grandfather one time that, you know, there were times, days on end, she wouldn't even come to bed. My grandfather asked his dad one time, does, does she ever sleep? And he said, son, she doesn't even wrinkle the sheets. She would just spend all night at times praying, seeking the Lord, praising and worshiping. And one of the things Nani said all the time was, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming soon. And she would even say, he's coming this year. And a year would pass, and she'd say, well, he's coming this year. And the family would say, well, Nani, you said that last year. She said, no, nah, I know, but he's coming this year. What is that? Living with an expectation. That even if it's 100, 200, 500 years from now, it's still very soon. And we've got to start learning to think in God time. For him, that's very soon. 
Jesus is coming soon. And I'm looking forward to his triumphal re-entry into this world and him taking us home with him. But in Matthew chapter 21, we read about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And people, I think, on the timeline of things put this just a week or so before the crucifixion. And of course, you know most of this. Um, Jesus had said to his disciples, you see this in other gospels as well. He says, go into the town opposite here. And there is a, he said, there's a donkey, a colt that's tied up and never been ridden. Did you ever catch that before? Never been ridden. He said, loose it and bring it here. He said, if anybody asks you what you're doing, you just tell them the Lord has need of it. So evidently Jesus was not in the market for a used donkey. He was not looking for a donkey that had a bunch of miles on it. He wanted that new donkey smell. And so that's what, exactly what those disciples went and found. And it was exactly as he said. And they started to untie the donkey. And somebody said, what are you doing? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they said, okay, take it. And it's exactly what Jesus told them what happened. They brought that colt back to him. I guess if you put a saddle on it, it's got leather interior. We won't, that's fine. We don't have to say about that. Um, Jesus gets on. He comes riding into Jerusalem. And verse five tells us that all this was done in fulfillment of scripture. The scripture that says, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. I'm telling you that again this morning, church. Behold, your king is coming. Somebody say, my king is coming. Um, this goes on. You see the, what the crowd began to shout as they, many of them laid their coats and clothes in the road for him and the, waved the palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Skip ahead to uh, verse 12. It says, when Jesus went into the temple of God, he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Notice verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Verse 15 says though, but when the chief priests and scribes, all the religious people, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children, they saw the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Religious people got indignant, got um, one translation or the original language says it, they, they thought this was evil. Made them so mad to hear these little children coming after Jesus crying out, Hosanna to the son of of David. And they got so mad about it that they came to Jesus and they said to him, verse 16, do you hear what these are saying? They expected Jesus to hear what these children were saying and other people too. They were all saying the same thing. Hosanna, exactly what we just read in Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. These religious people came to Jesus and said, do you hear what they're saying? They expected him to shut it down. They expected him to go over to the people and say, now listen, don't say that. Because those are big words. Those are significant words. To label this man the son of David 
was to call him the Messiah, was to call him the Christ, the anointed one who's come to save. And that's why those religious people said, are you hearing this? You better go shut them up. You better go shut this mess down right now. But what did Jesus say? He said, yeah, I heard him. <laughs> he said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have what? Perfected praise. Perfected praise. Now for weeks on end now, we have been studying the scripture, looking at our completeness in Christ. Colossians chapter two says it, you are complete in him. We've been building our expectation in this year that the God of all grace would go to work in our lives, perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling us. And we can't seem to get past this one word, perfect, perfected. And we've been on this for weeks now. And if you've missed any of it, I encourage you to go back to the website, our YouTube channel, all of it's available to you for free. Get caught up with this. But we've learned a lot about what the scripture means when it starts talking about perfection. We're beginning to see that it actually is talking about our completeness, not our flawlessness, not being perfect after the flesh, being complete. We've seen that it means being grown up, spiritually mature. We've connected this to the love of God showing up in our lives. And when love is showing up, we're growing up. It's the marker of our development, our growth, our spiritual maturity. And what Jesus said about these people, and specifically these children, he quoted the Psalms back to these religious people and said, yeah, have you never read what, what the psalmist said? That out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, he has perfected praise. I want you to uh, look at that in Psalm 8. You know, you don't have to turn there for time's sake. Let's just put this, put this on the screen for us. Psalm chapter 8. And in verse two, this is the verse that Jesus was quoting. He said, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Somebody say ordained strength, perfected praise. These two things go together. And this is the way it's translated. Other translations say exactly what Jesus said. You have perfected praise. But listen to what the verse goes on to say. Because of your enemies, why has God perfected praise through the mouth of children. Why has God perfected praise? What was the reason for it? Because of your enemies. Because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. This is what praise is for. This is what praise does this is what praise accomplishes in our lives. Praise is a weapon. Praising God is a weapon. It's a part of our weaponry. Now, let me touch on something right here that I think we'll get to in a few weeks. But when we start studying the concept and idea of perfecting, one of the things you see that goes with it is equipping. When you're being perfected, you're being equipped. And oftentimes the Bible translates the same word perfected and it'll translate it equipped. 
We've talked about it out of Ephesians chapter four, uh, that the, the ministry gifts are for just that, the perfecting of the saints. And other translations say the equipping of the saints. You need some equipment. You've got a job to get done. You need the equipment to get the job done. Praise is part of your equipment. It's part of your weaponry. It's the way you fight in this life. And did you notice what it does? It stops the enemy. It stills the enemy and the avenger. So yes, you have an enemy. I don't know if you were aware of that or not, but you've got one. We've got one. How do we stop the enemy? Praise. Praise stops the enemy. But think about this. If praise stops the enemy, what does complaining do? Well, listen to this from the book of Psalms. Don't turn there, but from Psalm chapter 78, verse 40, it says, How often they provoked God in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and they limited they limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his, his power. These, this scripture is talking about something that most people think is not even possible. Limiting God? Well, he's God, right? He's God and he's sovereign and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Wrong. Are you listening to me? Wrong. These people limited God. That's a, that's a powerful thought, is it not? To think that we have the ability to tie God's hands in our lives to where he's limited. We know he wants to do good. We know that's his desire and his will for us, but are, are his hands tied? Huh? These people tied the hands of God, limited him. So think about it like this. If praise limits what the enemy can do in your life, what does complaining do? Limits what God can do in your life. Praise stops the enemy and enables God. Complaining, which would be the opposite of praise, it is to be unthankful. P complaining stops God and enables the enemy. Just this thought alone, does this make you want to start praising a little more? This is one of the first places you need to look. When things are not going the way you need them to, want them to, one of the first places you need to look is what has been coming out of my mouth. Turn to James chapter one. We could spend a lot of time looking at this, but I just want to touch on it briefly. And we'll come back here to Matthew chapter 21. In James, I'm sorry, I said James one. James chapter three. James three, and we'll have this on the screen for you. It says in verse two, he says, we all stumble in many things. Is there anybody in here that would attest to that? Yeah, we have. You do, I do, we all have. We've all stumbled, we've missed it in many things. And if you just stop with that right there, it's, it's kind of depressing. It's certainly very frustrating to just get tripped up, to stumble, it seems like, in everything you're doing. And it just seems like, man, I just, no matter what I'm doing, I'm not getting it right. 
I'm not getting it right at work. I'm not getting it right at home. I'm not getting it right financially. I'm not getting it right at school. I'm not getting it right in my marriage, in my relationships, or with my children. It just seems like I am missing it and messing up at every turn. Well, he's got an answer for that. He says, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is what? A perfect man. Other translations say he is spiritually mature. If anyone doesn't stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Check this out. Able also to bridle the whole body. So, so here's what I'm seeing in this today, church. Maybe you have been missing it. Maybe we have been missing it and stumbling it in one area and, and stumbling in one area after another. And everything I just talked about, work, home, relationship, marriage, family, kids, money, it just seems like we're missing it in every area. Instead of getting so depressed over all the areas you're missing it in, let's focus on one. Do you hear this? If you are able to bridle your tongue, what did he say? You can affect the whole body. So you don't have to try to figure out how and why you're missing it in all these areas. Let's focus on our mouths. Let's focus on what's coming out of our mouths. Because if the, if the scripture is true, and it is, what's coming out of our mouths can fix everything else that's going on in the body. Didn't he say that? If you are able to bridle the tongue, you can bridle the whole body. You can fix everything else you're missing it in if you bridle the tongue. If you will watch what's coming out of your mouth. Now he goes on to talk about and paint pictures here of what it's like. He said, you know, we put bits in a horse's mouth. And what does that bit do? It steers that horse. It tells that horse where to go. He said, it's also like putting a rudder on a ship. And you can have a great big massive ship. But you know, that huge, massive, seagoing vessel is steered by a little rudder. And it does not get to decide where it goes on its own. That little rudder tells that ship where to go. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're trying to turn the ship around, you need to see what's coming out of your mouth. Now, we've, we've known this, and if you grew up in a house like the one I grew up in or under ministry like the one I grew up in, we heard a lot about this. We heard a lot about the power of our tongue. We heard a lot about watching our confession. Has anybody ever heard a good message on watch your confession? Man, I heard this stuff all my life growing up, and I believe it too. I believe that your words are powerful. I believe the words that are coming out of your mouth have the ability to create just like God's words had the ability to create. And the world that you are living in right now is the product, it is the fruit of your lips. It's, it is the result of what's been coming out of your mouth. And as a result of that, we learned some things growing up. My sister and I growing up in that house, we learned we don't say things like, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. We don't, we don't confess like that. We don't talk like that. We don't say what we have. We don't say what we feel. We say what we believe. And we were taught to line our confession up with the word of God. 
So I think when you and I read the scripture about the power of our tongues and the power of what's coming out of our mouths, sometimes we tend to think of it only in those terms. So, so don't say you're sick, say you're healed. Don't say you're broke, say you've got more than enough. Don't say you're depressed, say you've got the joy of the Lord. And these things are true. This is all good. This is all right. But I want you to notice something as you continue to read this passage. He goes on and he says... In, uh, thank you, Lord. Yeah, he says down around verse six, he said, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it has, that it defiles, or you could say it has the ability to defile the whole body. So your tongue, like we've already said, is determining the condition of your body. But I want you to add something to that today, church. When he says the whole body, I want you to think of it the way I'm thinking of it. This body. We are a body of believers. We're a family. And what's coming out of our mouths has the ability to either defile this family or to turn this family to go in the right direction. Now look at verse 9. He says, with it, with our mouths, with our tongue, we bless God, our Father, and with it, we curse man. So yes, you could take this and apply it to your confession concerning your healing or your, 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 your joy, your whatever. You apply it any way you want. But I want you to notice today the two specific things that he, he was talking about that are determining the course your ship is headed on. And the direction your ship is headed in. Two things. He said, with your mouth we bless God. Does that sound like praise? And with it we curse men. Those two things determine what direction your boat's headed in. And it's not just a matter of your confession over your prosperity, your abundance, your healing, your deliverance, your joy, whatever. It's these are the places you need to look right here. What's coming out of my mouth? Is what's coming out of my mouth blessing God or is what's coming out of my mouth cursing men? If you are blessing God with your mouth, your ship is headed in the right direction. But the moment your mouth is used to start cursing man, which would be complaining, which would be grumbling, which would be murmuring, which would be gossiping. You want to know what happens? You bless God, bless God, bless God. And here goes that boat. Man, we are headed for prosperity land right now. We are headed for abundance. And the moment you start yielding your tongue to cursing, complaining, grumbling, gossiping, here's what your boat does. And starts heading the other direction. And oh, I'm blessing God now. I'm heading the other direction. Oh, nope, cursing man now. We got boats out there on the sea that have been stuck in the same spot in the sea going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. You're not. You are getting nowhere. Head this way for a little bit and then turn the ship around and head the wrong way. Oh, no, no, we're going to bless God. Turn the ship around and head the right way. What he's talking about when he said, what's coming out of your mouth? He's referring to you are either blessing God or you are cursing man. And depending on what your mouth is being used to do, that is the direction your life is headed in. It's so simple. 
It is so simple. If you don't like what's going on in the world around you, if you don't like the shape your family's in, if you don't like the shape your marriage is in, if you don't like the shape your finances are in, and man, I've just been stumbling in all these areas, stop trying to figure out all the relationship tricks. Stop trying to figure out all the magic money things. Well, if I do this or make this investment or if I just do this with my money, everything will be okay. Stop trying to figure out all the little intricate details and trying things in every little area. Get your mouth right. Start blessing God. Start praising God. Are you listening to me, church? That will turn this boat around. That will turn this ship into the right direction if you just start using your mouth to bless God and not curse people. And you think, well, I'm not cursing people. I'm not pronouncing a curse on people. Let me tell you what it shows up like. Hey, brother, can I talk to you a second? Can I confide in you? Can I, can I share something? with? I just got something on my heart about this other dear brother. Are you listening to me? If you are talking about other people, if you're talking about them without them, it's a good chance you're gossiping. No, 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 I'm praying for them. Be honest. Quit lying. If you are talking about them without them, there's a good chance you are gossiping, complaining, murmuring, and what you may or may not know is that is what's taking your ship in the wrong direction. If you're talking about them without them. And we have a policy. I have a personal policy. We have a policy on our staff. We don't do this. We don't do this. We do not, when it comes to other people and the conversations we're having, we don't talk about them without them. Just, just we shut it down. You need to learn this phrase right here. You ready? Let me stop you right there. You need to put that phrase in your vocabulary. When somebody comes to you and wants to quote unquote confide, wants to quote unquote get your agreement, just has a burden on their heart about this other brother or sister, you need to learn this phrase right here. You ready? Let me stop you right there. Why? You don't want to hear it. I'm trying to get this boat headed in the direction that God's called me in. I ain't got time to be doing circles out there in the middle of the ocean. Let me stop you right there. Church, as your pastor, I am deputizing every single one of you in here and authorizing you to shut down gossip. There. Raise your right hand, swear, whatever. You are now, from this day forward, in this church, deputized and authorized to shut down complaining, to shut down murmuring, to shut down gossiping. You really want to freak yourself out sometime? Do a study on gossip in the scripture and look at the company it keeps. Look at the company it gets named with. Things like, I don't know, murder, all kinds of sexual sin. Oh yeah, the church is real big on that. Real big on throwing the hammer down on folks who are, who are living that kind of life. Yeah, well, what about gossip? Because in the eyes of God, it's the same nasty stuff. You're quiet. Are you okay? You don't want it. 
you do not want it in your life. And if you find that people are constantly coming to you with stuff and this concern about that one and this concern about that one, listen, if they're constantly coming to you, your concern should not be the people they're talking about. Your concern should be, why do people feel liberty to come talk to me like this? What's going on with me that I'm some magnet to gossip and complaining and murmuring? Forget what's going on with other people. You got to get that figured out. You want people to know about you that whatever you do, don't try gossiping with them. They are going to shut you down and shut you up. Unless you want to hear them say, let me stop you right there. Don't even go talk to them about it. Find out why people feel so comfortable and confident to come share trash with you. Sarah, I feel like this is really good. Everybody's been really quiet. Is everything okay? I mean... I, this, this is helping. This will get your boat headed in the right direction. What's coming out of your mouth? So, if complaining stops God and enables the enemy in my life, I want to shut that up. And I want to start as of like right now, blessing God, praising God, thanking God, honoring God. Because what does that do? That stops my enemy. That stills my enemy and it strengthens and enables God to work in my life. Isn't that good? So you go back here to Matthew. Oh, I've already been going too long. Sarah, come on up. Uh, back here to Matthew 21. Just this thought alone, the realization that, man, I can, I can empower God to work in my life and I can stop the enemy from stealing, killing, and destroying in my life by praising. That thought alone ought to make you want to get really good at praising. It makes me want to get good at it. It makes me want to do it more and more and more. And what Jesus just said here to those religious people is you can actually come to the place where you're not just good at praising God. You're perfect. Perfect. Complete. In other words, you can praise God in a way that God receives it and says, that could not have been done any better. Yeah, I know you've been worried about messing up in all these other areas, financially, relationally, whatever. Forget it. What about what's coming out of your mouth? Because you can be perfect at that. He said you could. Now, here's what cracks me up about all this. We have been talking about it for weeks now the idea of perfection being spiritual maturity, right? Growing up, no longer being children. And right in the middle of this, Jesus looks at a bunch of children and says, that was perfect. That was perfect. Well, what do we do with that? Are we, uh, what are we doing here, Lord? Are we growing up? Are we supposed to be children? What is it? Which is it? Here's where we have to learn the difference between being childish and being childlike. You hear me? The difference between being childish and being childlike. As much as we are to be growing up in the Lord, we are never, listen to me church, never to lose our childlike faith. Jesus used children as the example of the ones who offer perfect praise. Well, what does that say to you? You know what it says to me? It ain't hard. 
Offering perfect praise to God is not complicated. It's not complex. It's not hard. And as a matter of fact, you and I have to guard as we do grow up. We've got to put up a, a guard against things becoming complicated, against things becoming complex. Paul wrote to, to churches and he said, I, I'm concerned that you've lost the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. That's what I so admire and, and maybe I'm even a little bit jealous of kids. When I look at them and the way they live their lives, I look at them going, it's so simple for you, man. They, they don't wake up. They're not concerned about bills. They're not thinking about putting food on the table. They're, they're not thinking about any of that stuff. They wake up and what are they thinking about? What am I gonna play today? I hope I get to play in some dirt today. I hope I get to go out there and just get dirty. What friends am I gonna play with today? That's the most complicated thing on their mind. It's a simple life. And this is something you and I are supposed to protect in our walk and, and, and fellowship with the Lord. There is a simplicity of faith. There is a childlikeness to our faith. And praising God, blessing God, powerful enough to get your whole life moving in the right direction, powerful enough to, to tame the whole body, and yet it's so simple. Look at how they praised Jesus that day, and it's what Jesus called perfect. It was so simple. What did they say? Hosanna to the son of David. Perfect praise is really simple. I see three things in their praise that made it perfect. Number one, it came out of their mouth. Praise is not perfect or it's not complete until it's coming out of your mouth. I mean, I could give you a half a dozen verses or more out of the book of Psalms. Listen to this. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my heart. Is that what it said? No. It shall continually beware, church, in my mouth. Psalm 40, verse 3. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Psalm 71, verse 8. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Psalm 51, 15. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will show forth your praise. Psalm 63, 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Psalm 109, verse 30. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. I will praise him among the multitude. 145, 21. My mouth shall speak the praises of the Lord. 149, verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Praise is not praise until it's coming out your mouth. Let me show you what praise is not. You come into church on a Sunday morning, brother Jordan standing here, guitar in hand on the microphone. Come on, let's glorify the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. And the band is playing and the sound is big and he opens his mouth and the singers sing and here's you. Oh, it's in my heart. No, it's not. If it's not coming out of your mouth, chances are it's not in your heart. It's not praise until your mouth opens up and it starts coming out. And you know who your example is for this? Kids. 
kids. Hosanna, they cried to the son of David. Praise, perfect praise is praise that's coming out of your mouth. You're not silent. You're not standing there as a, as a conscientious objector or observer. You are letting praise and blessing God come out of your mouth. Perfect praise comes out of your mouth. Perfect praise is what these children did. They praised the Lord with the word. To be a perfect praiser doesn't require you to be a songwriter, doesn't require you to be a poet, doesn't require you to be a great speaker or orator, thank God. To be a perfect praiser, you, you want to know where you're supposed to look? Scripture. You got a hundred and whatever, 50 Psalms. And so many of them, one right after the other, start like this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why don't you start with those? You start with what the word says and you come before him and you say, Father, I praise you. And just begin to read his word. I praise you like the heavens praise you and the sun and the moon and the stars praise you. I praise you for your wonderful works to the children of men. I praise you. I praise you. I praise you. Your praise will continually be in my mouth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you're looking at scripture. And folks, the song is already written. It's not hard. It's not complicated. Open up the word and praise him with perfect words. Perfect praise is done with scripture coming out of your mouth. And then finally, perfect praise. And this is where I want to hand it to Sarah. Perfect praise does what those kids did that day. Son of David, they cried. Perfect praise simply gives Jesus the place that he belongs. Perfect praise lifts him up to the highest place. Is that hard? Is that complicated? And yet it's perfect. When you and I are doing this, when our praise is coming out of our mouths, when our praise is deeply rooted in the word of God, not rooted in our own experience, our own opinion, our own emotion, man, forget all that stuff. Go to the word. When, when the word's coming out of you and you are exalting and extolling and lifting high the father and the name of Jesus, he receives it. And you know what he says about it? That was perfect. You could not have done that any better. Isn't that an amazing thought to think that you and I can offer something, God, that's perfect? It's, it's perfect. You can't do it any better. You can't do it any better than those little children praising Jesus that day as he comes triumphant fully into Jerusalem. Well, if that was the atmosphere of him coming in that day, what do you think the atmosphere is going to be full of when he comes again? It's going to be full of me and you praising and praising and praising and praising. Now here's what's so cool. I'm going to turn it over to Sarah. They use the word Hosanna which when you study it, it, it means what I've mentioned to you earlier, save, praying to be saved, save us now. But if you keep studying, it also just simply means thank you. Hosanna is a powerful word. On one side of the cross, it meant save us. On this side of the cross, it means thank you for saving us. 
You can't say it any better than that. It's perfect. Hosanna. Can you try it? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know what you did just then? You turned the ship around. Just blessing the Lord. Just exalting Jesus. Put scripture in your mouth. He received it. He called it perfect. And it's taken that boat that maybe has been headed in the wrong direction for a long time. Whoop. Turns that big ship around. And now you're headed in the right place. Perfect praise. Amen. 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 Go ahead. Well, I, I wanted, I felt like that last part about giving God his place is what really tied into what you'd been saying to me. If you would turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, I want to read this passage. Can you just stay with me? Yeah, I'll stay right here. Okay. I, I love the idea, you know, that you hear this from the last scripture he read about Psalm, in Psalm 149, let the high praise. To me, that means that there are different levels of praise. And let it be in my mouth and a two-edged sword in the hand. Once it becomes a high praise, the highest praise, it becomes the weapon that it was meant to be. And I, I had a dream once, years and years and years ago, it had to have been at least 10 years ago. And in this dream, I was in a battle, in a war. I was flying an airplane. That is never gonna happen, okay, in real life. <laughs> but in my dreams, it could happen. And I was flying this airplane, and I remember my brothers, they were in other airplanes, and it felt like, you know, uh, World War II or something, these really cool vintage planes. My brothers were in planes, Jeremy was in a plane, my dad was in a plane. And I remember, um, I began, I was flying this plane, and I began, to sing while I was in the air and I began to shout and I began to declare the glory of God and the high praise of God and as I did I heard the Lord speak to me and he said Sarah your song is your sword and I realized that I you know we are all in a fight if you don't know it right now your life may be just smooth and going good, at some point in your life, you will realize you are in a fight, that you have an adversary. We all do. And I realized I needed the high praise of God to overcome this battle that I was in. It wasn't long after that that my mom was diagnosed with cancer and we begin to stand with her and we begin to write music and songs. I remember these songs would help her overcome. Yeah. And um, she lived, I think, eight years or nine years and overcame and fought and won. And because of just what Jesus has done for her and the recognition of it and the realization of it and standing on his word, she was miraculously healed. Uh, completely healed. I mean, she was, the doctors told her she was completely cancer free and she overcame and she overcame. And I'm telling you, I knew there were times she'd call me and she'd say, sing that song to me mm. about the garment of praise. And um, Jordan and I would record it for her. And I don't know if you guys have heard it in church. We try to do it a lot because of the words. But it says, 
(laughs) Put on a garment of praise and glorify the Lord. Put on a garment of praise, everyone. Because in the midnight hour, chains will break. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. And then it says this in the verse, no better way to come up out of the days. Just open up your mouth in praise. And we would sing this to her and she would get it in her heart and she would get it in her mouth and she'd begin to sing and she would overcome. And she did and God helped her time and time again. And we give God glory for it. But I just want to tell you this morning that your song is your sword and it will turn your life around. And your praise is like a weapon and it will turn the ship around. But complaining and murmuring will take you down, down, down. And it's a very interesting thing how direction is so clearly found in the scripture. When you are ascending to God and you are going in the right direction, it will be like you're going up, up, up. You are going higher in him. But then when you're, then at times when you're turning the ship in the wrong direction, you'll begin to go down, down, down. I just had this thought about what a perfect praise is and then what imperfect praise is. And for the last, you know, it's good to beware of things. You know, the Bible tells us not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. And I remember when we started this series on perfection, I kept hearing in prayer over and over again the word beware, beware, beware. And that's not a term to make you scared, but it's a term of awareness, of a, it's a term to, rec- to not be asleep. Mm-hmm. The Bible tells us to be wide awake, eyes wide open. There we're supposed to walk in the light as he is in the light. That means when we have light, we should walk in that light. And I, I began to think this last couple of weeks about someone whose name actually meant praise. Does anybody know who this was in the Bible? In Ezekiel chapter 28, we have a description of him. And it was Lucifer. And God created him. It says in verse 11, Let's just say this. Um, This is just a description of him in verse 13. You were the seal of perfection. God made him perfect. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And then it goes on to describe him in all his beauty. It says, um, the workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. A lot of people think that was in reference to him maybe being over music of heaven or having music actually built into him. Now we don't know for sure about this, but the word timbrels is used throughout the whole Old Testament to describe music and describe the making of music. And then it says um, in verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. God anointed Lucifer. He was anointed. He was a cherub. He was given an anointing. It says this, I established you 
Wow, isn't that go along with the scripture we've been reading? Being perfected and established. He had, what this means was that God had given him a place. It says you were put on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created. His name actually meant in the root word for his name, Hallel is the Hebrew word for praise and glory. He was created to give God praise and to give God glory. And it says this, you were perfect in all your ways. God gave him a place until iniquity was found in you. Isn't it amazing that God can give us a place in him, can give us opportunity, can give us a place to serve, can give us all these wonderful things in life, but then he also gives us a free choice of what to do with that place. And he, iniquity was found in him. And, and if you turn over to um, Isaiah 14, this is another chapter that describes him. He, God even says, Lucifer, you're the son of the morning. His name actually meant brightness. He was like a bright and shining star, not the bright and shining star, not the morning star. He didn't have that place, but God did give him a place. As the cherub, he was right there in the holy of holies. He was right there. He had been given a place with the almighty God in holiness, right there. But then it says this in Ezekiel 28, 14. It says, now let's just read this first. He said this in his heart, verse 13. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit. Did he stop praising and he started thinking about himself? I will. I, 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 me, me, me. I'm telling you, these are the words that get you in trouble in life. These are the words that wreck life when it becomes all about me. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And then God said, no, you shall be brought down. And I just thought it was very interesting that the moment it became about him, was the moment his heart was deceived. In Obadiah 1.3, it says this, the pride of your heart had de has deceived you. And that moment, he got tired of serving. Lucifer got tired of serving God. He got tired of the place he was given. He became completely discontent with his life, with the opportunities that he had been given, with the place he had been given. And that was the point that he became deceived in his heart. It was the pride of the heart, the desire to have more, the desire to, uh, to, to obtain a place that wasn't his to give. 
He stopped giving God his rightful place and tried to take a place that was not his. And then, the, and then that pride, which is so twisted, isn't it? That pride is what lost him his place with God. I was reading this this week, but it says this in Proverbs 13:10, only by pride comes contention or strife. If there's strife in the home, if there's strife in the church, if there's strife on the job, if there's strife in your marriage, it's only by one thing that it comes, and that is pride. And so Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I just think it's really interesting though what Jesus said when he came to earth. John 6, 38, he said this, I have come down from heaven. What did he come down? He, he took a place. Lucifer tried to go up. Jesus tried, he came down. And he said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Can you see the contrast here? The desire to to take praise, to be seen, to have attention, to be heard, to take a place that wasn't his. And then the opposite, Jesus, the kind of humility that knows his place in God. I love this. Let me just read this to you out of Philippians. Um, this is Philippians chapter two. Oh man, this is just so amazing to me this week as I read it. Let me just start here at verse three. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? It is the desire to stop serving everybody around me and it's the moment it becomes all about me. That's right. Um, let nothing be done through that, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. If you go into verse five, it says, let this mind be in you also, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. See, Jesus knew that he was complete in him. He knew his place in God. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Think about that. He knew who he was. Yet in verse seven, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men. He came to serve, not to be served. And in this moment, you know, isn't it amazing when people who are overqualified take the place of an underqualified? Mm. Isn't that an interesting thing? When someone is that humble and so confident and so complete in God that they can take their place as a servant and not get tired of serving, not get tired of their place, but be, they become thankful for everything God has given them. And I love this, that Jesus, when he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. That was the moment that he took his place in God. And he praised, he gave God the highest place, humbled himself. And at that point, God has given him, highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth and those under the earth. He obtained preeminence. And I heard this in my heart this week, that the, pre, the position determines the preeminence. The position of the heart determines the place that is given. And isn't that a powerful thought that we can find what God has given us, steward it well, love it, be thankful for it, magnify our office, put him in his rightful place, give him the praise that he deserves, the honor that he deserves, be grateful, be content, be thankful. And that's what takes us up, up, up in God. Thank you, Lord. That's what, that, that's what the kind of praise is that pleases God. The high praise in our mouth that becomes this powerful place where we know who we are and we are complete and content in him. Amen. You know, S Satan, what Sarah is saying here is that Satan had that place and his place was to glorify God. His, his place was to give God his place. You understand that? Satan's assignment was to lift God into his place. And everybody who's given a place to serve, there comes a time they will have to face that temptation where in the flesh, they become tired of serving and want to be served. They become tired of giving glory and they want to get some glory. Come on, church, I'm saying something to you right now. You need to be paying close attention to it. This is what he faced. And we don't know how many eons past he had been doing that. Millions of years, I don't know. And he came to a place where he was saying, I'm tired of lifting him up. I want to be lifted up. I'm tired of giving him glory. I want some glory. And it took him down. Perfect praise. It sounds so simple but there is temptation to come short in it. Perfect praise every time gives God his place, gives God his place. I give you the highest place. I give you the highest place. And this isn't just in a song that we sing. This is in every day of our lives. And you face this over and over and over again. You face it when you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis that you don't like. Who is going to get the highest place? Who's going to be given the final word? Who's going to be given the authority? Who's going to be given the honor? Who's going to be given the praise? Am I going to magnify this diagnosis or am I going to magnify Jesus, my physician and my great healer? You face this every single day. And there comes a time that in the flesh, the flesh gets tired of it. I'm tired of doing the lifting up. I want to be lifted. I'm tired of doing the praising. I want some praise. I'm tired of doing the glorifying. I want some glory. And folks, you're going to have to put that down. You're going to have to crucify that trash and say, I'm not having any part of that. I am so happy. I am so thrilled. I am so content to spend the rest of my life and the rest of eternity giving God his place, knowing that on the other side of that, you get exalted. When you exalt him, he lifts you up and exalts you. So I think we need to spend a minute or two before we dismiss this service today. Just stand up with me. Musicians, you guys come on up. How many think it would be a good idea not to just talk about praising, but to actually do some of it? Come on, church. Are you awake this morning? I cannot. If I love you, I cannot let you be just a bystander here.
If I love you, I can't, I can't just stand by and, and hope that you do this. I got to do my job and help draw it out of you. I'm telling you the direction that your family is headed, the boat you are on can be turned around right now this morning and you can start heading in the direction God's called you to be in. You can start heading towards abundance. You can start heading towards restoration. You can start heading towards everything he's called you to do and to be, but it starts right here with the high praises of God in your mouth. Where is it? In your mouth. Perfect praise does what? It comes out of the mouth. Perfect praise uses scripture, uses the perfect word of God to praise him. And perfect praise does exactly what Sarah was saying, gives God his place. We do this as we sing, as we praise and worship. We do this in our serving, in our serving each other. And you know us well enough now to know that that is the culture and the atmosphere we're creating this in this church. One that loves God by loving each other. One that serves God by serving each other. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.